This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Well, good morning, church. You guys made it out in the rain. Wow. You decided to take an adventure today and come to church despite the weather, and for that, I applaud you. So glad that you made the decision to come to church today because we're kicking off a brand new series called Definitions, and what the Lord has put on my heart for us to start talking about in the next several weeks is going to be how all of us have different definitions of things in our lives that we deal with, and where we have differences in our definitions is oftentimes where we find a point of conflict. You know, just think about your marriage. You may say, be saying the same two words, but be meaning two very different things. And so we're going to talk about those things throughout the series. People have different ideas about money. People have different ideas about relationships. People have different ideas about church and about the Bible. And they just have different definitions. I remember when my wife and I first got married, we went on our honeymoon. When we came back, I opened the trunk of our car and I said, hey, we've got all of our luggage and our stuff that we bought. And, you know, could you help me um, get the stuff out of the, out of the, out of the car? I'll, I'll get the big stuff and you can get the other stuff. She said, no, that's a man's job. <laughs> And I said, what? And I said, well, in my family, everybody pitched in and helped unload the car till we got it clean. It was faster that way. She said, well, in my family, my dad always did that, and we went inside. You see, and I said, well, then what's a woman's job? <laughs> and you see, here it is. We have man job, woman job. And so we have very different ideas about what's to be done in this scenario. So I think a lot of times when we have those differences that we find that point of conflict, and a lot of times we can't get through that time of conflict because I'm stuck on my definition and she's stuck on her definition or whatever definition that we may be stuck on. You know, there may be conflict in church. There may be conflict with money. There may be conflict at work because we have an idea or a definition that has been carved out and shaped for us by our experiences, by what we've been told, by what we've seen and what's been modeled before us. And so we've got this idea of how things are supposed to go. And when it doesn't go according to our definition, that's where we oftentimes will have issues. So make sure you show up over this next... uh, a few weeks. It's going to be a great series. We're going to talk about all kinds of things, but tonight we're going to, uh, tonight, wow. <laughs> this morning we're going to kick it off with uh, talking about humility because I think that humility is something that we can have different definitions on. And so um, I, I came up with a very spiritual title. It's humility. So just write that down if you're taking notes or if you want to follow along with your phone or your um, iPad or whatever you have with you on that version app, you can utilize that and follow along as well. So let's start off with the, with, with, with the definition, Webster's definition, of what humility is, or rather what it means to be humble. And this is what it means. You can look at it on the screen here. It means not proud or arrogant, modest, kind of like a, uh, an example would be to be humble, although successful, having a feeling of insignificance, inferiority, subservience, etc. In the presence of so many like world, excuse me, world famous writers, I felt very humble. Or number three, uh, low in rank or important status, quality, you know, um, of a humble origin or a humble home. Number four, uh, courteously respectful, you know, in my humble opinion, you're wrong, which I'm sure we've used that one this week at some point. Um, and uh, low in height, uh, level, etc., small in size. You know, I'm a humble member of the galaxy. So as we look at humility, as we look at what it means to be humble, we can be saying that word, 
And we can say, oh, I, I've, I've got that down. I, I understand what that means. But yet our lives contradict often what the definition will be. So I want us over the next several weeks to go through the word of God and let's find out what God's definitions are. Amen, somebody? Because I think his definition should trump our definition regardless of our experience or regardless of what others have told us, right? Um, I, I had a wise uh, youth pastor tell me years ago when I first started out uh, in ministry, he told me this. He said, Derek, he said, always be willing to give up what you believe for the truth. He said, always be looking for truth. Because a lot of times, a lot of us are living under a misbelief. We're living under a misguided belief that has been shaped and formed by what we think instead of what God says. So what God says should always trump what I think, right? I could be thinking a certain way, and it could even be a good way of thinking in my mind, but if God says otherwise, then somebody's got to change. And we can argue with God, and we can go back and forth with God, but somebody's got to give, and I don't think it's going to be God, right? <laughs> All right, so I want to go to the book of Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples... Matter of fact, uh, the, the, the most uh, vocal uh, that we have record of, of Jesus' disciples, um, who a lot of us can often identify with. And here's Peter, and this is, you know, some 60 uh, years um, after uh, 60 AD is about when 1 Peter was written. And we need to understand who Peter was writing to, okay? Uh, Peter was writing to a group of Christians living in various parts of Asia Minor. So that's who 1 Peter was written to. Um, and these group of Christians were facing a lot of persecution. They were oppressed. And so because of that, these guys began to grumble, murmur, and complain, wonder, why me? What's going on? I thought that this Christianity thing was supposed to be different. And so Peter's writing to them, and you can see this all throughout the, the, the first epistle of Peter, that he's trying to encourage and he's trying to strengthen all these different churches and these groups of believers in Asia Minor. And, uh, and, and he does so by leading off with something very interesting in the first part of First Peter. He says this in, in, in the very first verse of 1 Peter. He said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So we see there in the very beginning that he's writing to all these different groups of people in Asia Minor, and he calls them the dispersion. And, and, and it's interesting. He calls them pilgrims of the dispersion. And I think that that's really interesting that he leads off with that because that's actually an Old Testament term that was used to refer to the exiled Israelites, the exiled Jews. And so here he is using this term dispersion uh, of the pilgrims, but the group he was writing to were not Jewish people. Indeed, these were Gentile people who were not of the natural bloodline of the, Israelite, of the Israelites, of God's chosen people, but yet he's referring to them in the same context. So to this group of people, they would have understood what this term, pilgrims of the dispersion, meant. And it would have helped them to relate to the fact that, listen, you are God's chosen people. God has not forgotten about you. You are his chosen people, even though you may not naturally have the bloodline of a Jewish person because of Christ you are now a part of something 
something bigger, and I'm going to go ahead and group you in with this group of people that you may remember from some of the old texts about when God led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, and he begins to refer to them as such. And if you are in a time of oppression, if you're in a time where you are wondering what in the world is going on, has God left me, has he, has he somehow forsaken me, and then all of a sudden this apostle of Jesus writes to you, and he calls you the, the, the pilgrims of the dispersion, that's going to mean something to you. You're going to go, oh yeah, I need to identify with the fact that I am chosen of God regardless of what season of life I'm in. Amen, somebody? I need to realize and recognize and identify with, oh wow, oh yeah, that's right, because how quickly we can forget. We can forget and we can begin trusting in ourselves. We can begin trusting in our own strength. We can begin actually looking at how bad things are and thinking that God has somehow missed us and that now because he's missed us or he's forgotten about us that, well, God, you owe me because look at what all's going on in my life. And we develop this entitlement mentality towards God. And all of that junk is all rooted and based in pride. It's all based in pride. And I think that most people think that they're really good at being humble. I really do. I think most people think they're, I'm really good at this. I think that especially most church people think that they're really good at being humble. We think that we're good at being humble because here's the thing. A lot of us would never admit to having an issue with pride because by our own definition, we're pretty good. By our own definition, we've accomplished some things, and I'm pretty good, and I'm pretty good at being humble. Matter of fact, I will go on to say I'm pretty great at being humble. And you want to know why we arrive at those definitions? Because our definitions are often constructed by comparisons. A lot of times, the, the, the whole reason that we feel that way is because we have compared ourselves to someone else, and we go, I'm pretty good. And that's what we allow to define what our definition of true humility is. And we'll go, well, you know, at least I'm better than... And we say things like, man, their life is really messed up. Boy, I am so glad that I'm not them. Or boy, aren't they idiots for making these decisions and these decisions. I'm glad that I'm so smart that I make better decisions than them. And we think that we're better than other people. We began to think that, you know, we're better at humility, we're better, we, we, we've accomplished something, so therefore we feel like we're more significant than someone else that may still be struggling in a certain area that we've got figured out. Well, I'm pretty good at that. And that's a, tri a trick, and it's, it's a trap that we can often fall into, whether things are going great or whether things are going bad. Because when things are going bad and we're wondering, God, where are you? God, what's going on? We can get very focused on ourselves. And that's the group of people that Peter was writing to. And we can learn from this today in 1 Peter. Let's look at the 5th chapter and the 5th verse. He begins to tell these people about humility, and this is how he begins to address them. He Actually, let's back up to verse 4, because this is going to be significant a little later on. He was actually talking to them um, about the pastors, which are referred to um, there in the scriptures. And he begins to talk to them in verse 4. says, when the chief shepherd appears, or when he's the chief pastor, you know, which is Jesus Christ. That's why that's in all caps there. The chief shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, 
casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our, brother, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, or Rome is what that was referring to, elect together with you, greet you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So we see here at the very end of this letter to these different groups of people that Peter begins to tell them, listen, Jesus, our chief shepherd, he's the one that's going to give you this eternal crown of glory. So you guys are suffering. Let's not forget what we're doing. Let's not, forgetting, let's not forget who we're doing this for. And I want to remind you to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and in due time, or maybe another translation said in due season, he will exalt you. Now this would be very interesting to this group of people because Peter has already let them know that they're this pilgrims of dispersion. He's already made several references throughout his epistle wanting them to identify with the fact that they now belong to God, with the fact that they're now God's chosen people because of their faith in Christ, because we've been grafted in, we've made, been made a part of the family of God because of Jesus. And he's wanting them to identify with that and not identify with their struggles, not identify with the opposition that they're facing. He's wanting to point them once again to Jesus. And then he says, exalt yourself, uh, he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will exalt you. Now, that mighty hand of God is also another Old Testament phrase that was used when God was delivering the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. The mighty hand of God. They saw how the mighty hand of God moved and how he brought plagues over the land of Egypt. They saw how the mighty hand of God brought them uh, the fire by night and brought them the cloud by day. They saw how the mighty hand of God fed them with manna in the desert. And so here it is that he's referencing once again this time when Moses who was leading the children of Israel, who was a type and shadow of Christ, of our Savior, of our Deliverer. He's referencing this and letting them know that they need to identify with the fact that this mighty hand of God is going to save them out of their travesty, out of their oppression, out of their uh, fear, out of whatever's going on. But to do that, we've got to position our hearts in a way where we actually humble ourselves and we begin to trust in Him and not in ourselves. Amen, somebody? You see, that's what Peter's trying to remind them of who they are. And I think that so oftentimes you and I can fall into the same boat where we forget who we are in Christ. We forget who we are in Him. And then we begin to rely on our own strength. We begin to rely on ourselves during times of travesty, during times of oppression, during times of fear. And when we rely on ourselves, that's pride. That's not humility. That's us saying, I can figure this out. I've got this. What's the solution that I need to come up with? How do I need to fix this situation? Because I am the answer. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that we shouldn't be doing to correct whatever situations we may be in in life, but it's who are you relying on? Who are you searching for your strength from? 
Oh, I have to have this substance in my life to give me comfort during this time of fear, or during this time of oppression. And so we begin to look to other things. We begin to look to other people as our source, and we forget that we are the chosen people of God. We forget that it is Him that we need to humble ourselves under His mighty hand and trust Him, whether things are going great or whether things aren't going so great, because we know that He's worth it, because He's our chief shepherd who's going to give us that crown of glory, and that we're not supposed to give up. And Peter said, hey guys, you're not the only ones going through this. Don't forget about all your brothers in the world. Remember that? Peter just wrote that. And he told him, he said, guys, remember all your brothers in the world. Don't forget, you're not the only ones that are dealing with oppression because the enemy would love to single you out. He would love to make you feel like you are all alone in what you're dealing with. Now, you're the only one who has this kind of problem, who has these kind of feelings towards this circumstance, and what's the big thing that we always say? Nobody understands. We think no one understands, and that is a lie from the pit of hell that was crafted to get you to focus on yourself. It's a trick. It's a trap. That's why Peter wrote, he said, listen, the devil, he, he's our adversary. He's walking around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. He's trying to get you caught up in traps and snares. And sometimes the traps and snares are not always the obvious things, right? That's kind of the point of it being a trap or a snare. If you are a hunter and you place a trap or a snare out in the woods, you don't go, okay, look right here, animal that I'm trying to capture. No, you hide it, you mask it, you camouflage it. Why? Because you don't want your prey to know. So don't you think that the traps and snares of the devil aren't going to be the obvious things? That they're going to be oftentimes things that we wouldn't even think about, that he would try to ensnare us with? to get us to fall, to get us to doubt God, or to get us to trust in ourselves and be people who are prideful in that fact that we're trusting in and of ourselves. I think that really what Peter was kind of uh, summarizing in the last part of this epistle to these people that you and I can glean from still today is that he was telling them, pursue humility until Jesus, our chief shepherd, comes back in due time because pride is a snare that the enemy will use to get us to focus on ourselves. But here's the crazy thing about humility. No one is humble. No one is humble because if I just said that and you said, well, yes, I am. Well, no, you're not. You see how that works? You see, we, we, humility is not something that we are all of the time. Because there are times where we will be tempted or we will be drawn away from that. So we're not 100% humble all of the time. And if we think we are, then we're not. That's kind of how that works. Here's what humility is. Humility is a response to the grace of God. That's what humility is. No one is humble in and of themselves. Humility is a response when we begin to understand the grace of God. I've been talking for the past few weeks about how desperately we need Jesus and how broken and hopeless and helpless we are apart from Christ, how dirty we are, how filthy we are apart from Christ who can make all things new in our lives and forgive us and, and cleanse us and make us right with a holy and perfect God. And only Jesus can do that. And I've said this over the past couple of weeks that when we recognize our need for grace, that's when we can truly begin to be recipients of it. 
And that's the thing that God wants us to do, not be prideful in our actions, not be prideful in our accomplishments, not be prideful even in the things that we're dealing with and going through and somehow feel entitled or self-reliant, but understand that my humility does not come from within myself. It's not a decision that I make to be humble. It's a response to the grace of God. It's me realizing, wow, I need you. It's when my mind gets blown. It's not something I go, hmm, I think I'm going to be humble today. That's not how humility works. Humility is a response when we understand how much we need Him. It makes us go, oh my God, I need you. And it humbles my heart. And it drives me to worship. It drives me to want to seek Him and know Him more. It's a response to the amazing grace of God that he has given us, this free gift that he has given us. Because you see, the moment we claim to be humble, the moment that we think that we in and of ourselves are humble, then we're no longer humble. We have moments of humility in our lives, but we need to keep the grace of God at the forefront, the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of the cross and what he did for us at the forefront of our minds and remind ourselves of who we are in Christ, just as Peter was trying to do with the group he was writing to in Asia Minor. So we can allow our hearts to be humbled by the grace of God. See, the enemy would love for nothing more than for us to focus on ourselves. That's kind of his thing. He wants us to be right in our own eyes, to be just in our own eyes, to be pure in our own eyes. And folks, let me tell you, that can never happen in and of ourselves, right? We need Jesus. We could never fix that problem. Only Jesus could. So the enemy would love for nothing more than us to focus on ourselves and how good we are or even how bad we have it. You know, I've known people, and and probably myself included at different points in my life, that pride has gripped my heart because of what I was dealing with or what I didn't have and what I was going through. Oh, well, look at me. Look at how much I'm suffering. Look at me. Look at me. Look Look at all the things I'm going through for you, God. You want to have those feelings? Go plant a church. Those feelings will come very quickly. When you start dealing with opposition, when you start dealing with some of the challenges of planting a church, you'll go, God, I did this for you. Really? And he's going, what? Really? And you see, that's really pride creeping up in our heart. It's not the obvious version of pride because a lot of our definition of what pride is would simply be us boasting. That's what we automatically think when we think of prideful people. We think people that boast a lot. And sure, that's grouped in there too, but that's not, that's not a snare or a trap. That's kind of obvious. The snare and the trap is the one that you don't see. The snare and the trap is the one that's hidden under the leaves, that's painted camouflage, the one that we think is not really something that's bad for us to get into, that will hinder us. And then all of a sudden we get trapped in it, we get caught up in it, And we don't even recognize that it's pride that has gripped our hearts. You see, pride will do this. It will always want to take credit for everything and always want to be noticed. And that's kind of a little bit more obvious side of pride that we get. I always want to take credit for everything and I always want to be noticed. And and, and what am I really looking for? I'm really looking for some form of significance. I'm really looking for some sort of accomplishment or appreciation or recognition or whatever the case may be. At its root, it's pride. Pride searches for security and how good we are. Always wants to tell people how good we are. Always wants to show people how good we are because it's looking for some type of security. And at the root of it, it is really pride. 
It is us looking for something from other people that we should be finding in Jesus. Pride exalts itself also by putting other people down. How many of us have ever put somebody down? Don't lift your hands. Every one of us have put people down to some form or another, whether by our things we've said publicly, privately, or attitudes that we've had towards others in our heart, where we will put people down and we will talk about how foolish or how stupid they are, how ignorant they are, or how I'm smarter than them. Why? Why am I doing that? Because pride wants to exalt itself. Pride wants to lift itself up. It's a snare and it is a trap. It is us really saying, I'm looking for significance. I'm looking for someone to acknowledge the fact that I've done something good and the fact that I've done it and God should be the source of that happiness or that fulfillment of whatever it is that I've done if I've truly done it under the Lord. But it's me saying that's not good enough. It's me saying I need something else. It's I need that plus another guy. Saying I need that plus another thing. And it's me saying it's not good enough. To, to get it from Jesus. So I'm really saying, Jesus, you're not enough for me. I have to have other people, or I have to have people know that I'm better than them. I have to have people know. So I'll put them down, and I'll, let, I'll remind them of their place. I'll remind them of how smart I am. I'll remind them of, of, of who I am and what I've done. And it's a snare, and it's a trap. And it's us not relying on the grace of God. It's us relying on ourselves, and it's us looking for something from other people or from within ourselves that we're not looking for from God. You see, pride is the source of gossip. Pride is the source of slander, of complaining, of murmuring, of backbiting, all of those things. Murmuring where we're, we're, we're always murmuring and talking about things behind other people's back. And, and, and here's what pride does in those situations. Here's the, here's the snare of pride is that pride will justify itself in those conversations. Will it not? What do, what, what do we say? Oh, don't even play with me this morning. Come on. What does pride say in those situations? Pride says, well, I'm not saying anything bad about them. I'm just saying the facts. Everybody knows this. Or I wouldn't mind saying this to their face, Right? And we say things like that to justify the fact that we are doing something to put other people down to put us in a higher place. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not gossiping. I'm just saying the facts. And what the other thing that pride does is that it's attracted to negativity. Pride will leech on negativity. I've got one of these gross little fish in my aquarium. He's called a pleco. You know what he is? He's gross. He's the one that sucks up to the side of the tank. It's like you have this beautiful aquarium, then you've got... You've got all these pretty colorful fish, and then you've got this ugly thing sucked up to the glass of your tank. And what does he do? He eats the other fish's stuff. Right? That's what he does. He's attracted to it. And that's exactly what pride is attracted to. The stuff in our lives, the junk in our lives, the waste in our lives. Pride is attracted to it, and it eats it up. It goes, ooh, something negative's going on. <laughs> and it will latch itself to it. It's attracted to those problems and those negative situations. And what does it want to do? It wants to feed on those things. When you see something on Facebook and you go, oh, did you see what she put on Facebook? Oh, my goodness. 
Did you hear about what he did at work? Do you hear, did you hear about what's going on in this situation? Did you hear about this and this in church? Did you hear about this and this, what she did and what he did? And all these things, all of the source of it is I'm wanting to exalt myself by putting other people down. And at the root of it, it's pride. And it's looking for something from myself or from other people that I haven't yet discovered through accepting the free gift of grace. That's what it is. It destroys friendships. It creates divisions and rifts and ripples in churches. It hurts the body of Christ. It hurts families. And it's all rooted in pride. It's all rooted in self. Because that's who pride is trying to take care of, is self. Pride thinks it knows best what you need and it will get you to rely on what it tells you you need instead of us relying on the grace of God to be enough for me, whether I'm on top of the mountain or whether I'm sucking for air at the bottom of the valley. Amen, somebody? It's attracted to that stuff, and we have to be careful because it's a snare. It's a trap. If you find yourself always being attracted to negative situations, stop, stop, stop the conversation. Stop the thread and the message on Facebook because those are the secret ones. When you do the secret messages, you know, nobody else can see but you and your friends, but you're talking about what's going on publicly. All this stuff, it will destroy you and it will hurt others. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives what to the humble? Grace to the humble. Why does he give grace to the humble? Because they've earned it through being humble? No, because they realize they need it. Amen, somebody? And when you realize you need something, oh, that changes everything. It changes the attitude of my heart. It changes the attitude of my heart and who I'm trusting in and what I'm depending on. Oh, man, I've been trusting in and depending on myself, and now all of a sudden I get it. I get it. It's all about you, Jesus, the chief shepherd, the author and finisher and perfecter of my faith, the one I'm supposed to trust in. I get it now. It's all about you and your awesome gift and how desperately I need it. Because if I rely on myself, bad stuff is going to come out. Bad stuff is going to come out of me if I rely on me. Good stuff is going to come out of me if I rely on Christ. If I learn to trust in him. I want you to check this out. Peter said this in um, the first chapter of First Peter. If you still have that, you can turn over there with me. First Peter chapter 1. Remember, we're talking to a group of people who are oppressed, who are starting to get very prideful. And Peter writes this to them in First Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. And if you're not turning there, I want you to write it down and read it later, because this is, this is huge. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, he says this. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again because there's a lot in that. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see... Peter was telling them to be ready for these challenges, to be prepared in their understanding of what it meant to follow Christ. 
You need to be ready. You need to gird up the loins of your mind to understand that our hope rests in the revelation of Jesus Christ and our need for Him. Because really what humility is, if we're going to define humility according to Scripture, humility is a fruit of recognizing how much we need Jesus. It's really what it is. It's not something we turn on and turn off. No, when we recognize how much we need Jesus, it humbles our heart. It humbles our attitude. It humbles our reactions to other people. Because I realize, man, I need Jesus. It causes me to not think more highly of myself than I should, as the Bible says in Romans 12 and 3. But that I should understand that, man, it's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's all about Him and how much I need Him. You see, some people get it. Some, some people get that. They, they get it, but other people may think, I've done that, I've got that, now let's move on. And that's dangerous. That's very dangerous when we want to move on from grace because we think that we've somehow mastered something in our lives. What is that? That's pride, right? All of a sudden, I've got grace, I've got it, let's, 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 let's move on. No, 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 I want you to understand something. We never stop needing Jesus, right? We say that a lot around here. We never stop needing Jesus. We never stop needing Him. We never need to stop reminding ourselves about the gift of grace that you and I have freely received. We never need to stop reminding ourselves of the fact of who we are in Christ. We never need to stop reminding ourselves of the fact that we were bought with a price. The, the, the message of the cross, the message of grace, never needs to get so complacent in us that we become reliant upon ourselves. Because it can quickly happen. And what is it? It's a snare and a trap. It's a snare and a trap of the devil to get us to focus on ourselves. Oh, I've got that. Now I'm ready to move on. No, we always need to be reminded. I, I, I love this quote, Martin Luther. He said this. He said, I need to remind myself of the gospel every day because I forget it every day. Because how easy is it for us to get caught up in our negative situations and in the junk we're dealing with? How easy is it for us to get caught up in all of the stuff that, that, that we're going through? And begin to say, why me? Poor old me. Come on, God. You owe me. Don't you know what I did? I came to church in the rain. I didn't even get to do my hair like I like to. Now my beard's all crazy. And we make all these excuses and feel like, God, you owe me. God, you need to do this for me. Instead of us humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God that leads, that guides, that directs, that corrects, that helps us every step as we're being led by His Spirit, as we're being guided by His Spirit into all truth, as we're growing in our understanding of who He is and who we are in Him. And the fact that we are now sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That we're now a part of the family of God. That now we were, what we were dead to, what we never could have earned, now we are a part of that. Not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did. Man, that should position my heart in a place of humility like nothing else. It's a fruit. Humility is a fruit of recognizing how much we need Jesus. It's understanding my desperate need for Jesus that humbles my heart. And reminds me of this fact that it's all about Jesus. It's interesting here in 1 Peter in chapter, thir uh, I mean chapter 1 verse 13. He said, therefore gird up the loins of your mind. 
I had to think about that because we don't talk like that. We don't say those words. We don't tell one another to go gird up something. It's just weird. So I want to see what, what is it? And it was actually a, a, a tradition. A girding is actually a tradition of when we were going to, if we would go to battle, you know, those guys in those days wore the long robes. And so they, uh, you know, if they were going to go into battle, if they had to be ready for something, you know, if they were going to be prepared for something, uh, maybe to act quickly, to make a quick move, what they would have to do is they would have to gird up their loins. They would actually take those robes and they would gather them together and they'd pull them up about right here, about halfway up past your knee. And, 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 and they would gather all of the, the clothing together from that robe and they would take their belt and they would secure all of that clothing inside that belt so when it was time to act when it was time to move that they could move quickly and that robe wouldn't get in their way because I imagine I've never tried to run in a dress or a robe um, but I would imagine that that would be really difficult so they would take all of that material and they would they would wrap it up and that was called girding up their loins and Peter tells the churches in Asia Minor to gird up the loins of their mind to gird up the loins of their mind. So I believe that what Peter wrote and what the Scripture is still speaking to us today is saying that we need to be prepared in our minds. We need to be ready because there is an enemy, there is an adversary, the devil, that walks about like a roaring lion that's looking for people to devour. And we need to be ready and be reminded and understand who we are in Christ. Amen, somebody? And I do that by humbling my heart and recognizing my need for Jesus. I do that by understanding, wow, this is really all about you. I'm preparing myself by seeing exactly what Jesus did for me, by understanding his grace. And I want you to write these three things down that we can do to help to gird up our minds as we grow in grace. We need to walk in the fear of the Lord. As Proverbs 9 and 10 says, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what that means is that we need to take God seriously. That's really, at, at, at its most basic explanation, the fear of the Lord simply means take God seriously. That means you don't take Him lightly. If, if, if He's leading you in something through the Scripture, if He's leading you uh, in, in your spirit to step out and to do something, if He's speaking something to your heart, if He's trying to bring chastisement to you, trying to bring you to a season of repentance with something in your life, if He's trying to help you to make decisions or, or to be led uh, and step out in faith to trust Him for something, take Him seriously because He's not messing around, right? He wants better for you than you want for yourself. you got to understand, it may not look like what you thought it would look like. But I promise you that being in the will of God is better than anything this world could offer. Amen? And so because of that, I need to position my heart and my life where I can be led by the Spirit of God into all truth, hand in hand with Him, walking in His will for my life, whether it looks like what I thought it would look like or not, because I understand it's not about me, but it's about you. That's why Romans 12 and 1, Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Amen? He said, this is your reasonable act of worship. He said, this is an attitude of your heart that you understand because you take God seriously. You take God seriously. 
A second thing that we can do is we can follow the example of Jesus by growing in our relationship and our understanding of who He is. And we do that by building relationship with Him and getting to know Him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let's find out what did Jesus do? How, how, How could I know Him more? How can I grow in relationship with Him? Let me tell you one of the most interesting things about Scripture. As you and I read the Scripture... I want you to understand something, that the book of 1 Peter was written to a group of people that were having issues in Asia Minor, right? That's who Peter was writing to. Well, then what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me? Because I, I didn't live thousands of years ago. I wasn't living in Asia Minor. So what does that mean for me? That means that all the Scripture, different parts of it, All throughout Scripture, there may have been different things that were written to a group of people. You know, the book of Romans was written to the Romans. You know, the book of Timothy was written to a guy named Timothy. Says so in the very beginning. I'm Paul, writing to you, Timothy. So what does that mean for me? My name's not Timothy. What does that mean to me? I'm not a Roman. I didn't live during those times. The Bible is revealing to us the heart of God for mankind. It's a a narrative of the heart of God. And as we seek to know Him more, we can get to know His heart and know who He is through the Scripture because it's showing us who He is. It's me going, wow, this is the heart of God for those people, and I know God is not a respecter of persons, so this is His heart for me. I begin to understand this is God's desire for, for, for me. This is what I can begin to see The heart of the Father reflected all throughout Scripture. I can see His love for me. I can see the perfect story and picture of Jesus Christ being brought to life from the Old Testament all the way to the end of the book. And I go, wow. Wow. And that's how we get to know Him more, by getting to know His heart, by talking to Him, by reading His Word, not just to read it because we want to be good people and we want to feel better about ourselves, but no, because I understand that Scripture is really the heart of God being revealed to mankind. It's different authors at different points and different times writing as directed by the Holy Spirit. Things that were written about God, that were written for us to understand Jesus, that were written for us to understand how great of a gift of grace that you and I have received through our faith in Him. And as we begin to read Scripture, we we get to know Him more. We get to follow in His example, not because we look for all the do's and don'ts. That's not the point of the Word of God. It's that we're looking to to understand and get close to his heart. Amen? Amen. Anybody, anybody can make a list of do's and don'ts. And matter of fact, most religions in the world have lists of do's and don'ts. So therefore, the Bible is not unique in that sense. Therefore, Christianity is not unique in that sense because almost every religion has some sense of morality or some list of do's and don'ts. The thing that makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world is that it's all based on relationship of knowing God. No other religion in this world offers to let you get to know the creator of the universe personally. You get to know about them and get to know that they're probably pretty mad at you and that you're going to try to be good enough. And a lot of people take that same, same paganistic view to our God. 
And they think, oh, God is going to be mad at me unless I do all of the things that he wants me to do. No, he's our God that wants us to know him more and have relationship with him. And when we understand that, then we can understand the scripture. We can understand that these things that were written were written about our God that wants us to know him more. And we can begin to see Jesus throughout the scripture. We can begin to see ourselves reflected throughout the word of God. We can begin to see our weaknesses. We can begin to understand our desperation and our need for Him. Amen? And that's what He wants us to do. He wants us to follow His example and know Him more. And that will help us gird up our minds as we grow in grace because we begin to understand the heart of God. It begins to help our minds be prepared for the snares and the traps of the devil because they're everywhere. Matter of fact, you hear a message like this, I hope you leave today with a new definition of humility. Hope you leave with a new definition of what pride is. And maybe you've been challenged in some things in your heart today. Well, as soon as you walk out those doors, as soon as we say you're dismissed, as soon as you leave this parking lot, I guarantee you there's going to be some type of snare or trap that the enemy would love to get you caught up in to make you forget about focusing on Christ and begin to focus on yourself again. It's a snare. It's a trap. But if we gird up the loins of our mind, We can prepare ourselves by reminding ourselves of who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen. And another thing that humility is, it's accepting our place. And that's what Romans 12 and 3 says. Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. At that time, he was writing to the Romans. They were were having issues because there were people that had certain gifts, that did certain things, that had certain recognition in the church. And there was a bunch of division and junk going on because I want that. I want you to look at me. So I'm going to try to be this person. I'm going to try to be this. No, no, no. Don't think more highly of yourself than you are. Understand your place and understand that it takes the whole body of Christ working together to make this thing happen. Don't get prideful thinking that it's all about you and that somehow there's a corporate ladder to climb in the body of Christ. There is no such thing. It does not exist. And if it does exist, it's because we've made it and it's not of God. There is no corporate ladder. There is no hierarchy structure to where we can somehow climb this ladder of success in ministry or in church or in Christianity. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. In other words, he wants you to understand the grace that you've been given, the calling that you've been given, the gifting that you've been given, and operate in that. And be good at it because he's made you to be good at it. And it's not any more significant than anyone else. Just because you may not be up on the stage speaking week in and week out doesn't mean that I'm any more significant than someone who is watching our babies right now. Amen? It means that it takes everybody doing their part. It takes the body working together to get the message of the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, out to many. It takes a lot of folks doing that. And pride will want to say, well, I'm not important, well, I'm not significant, or hey, look at me, I'm more significant than you. It's a snare, it's a trap. It keeps the body of Christ wounded, hurt, and defeated instead of progressively moving forward. It'll keep us slandering, gossiping, backbiting, murmuring, complaining, instead of keeping us focused on the task at hand. There are so many little foxes that will try to spoil the vine. Isn't that what the Word says? It's the little foxes. It's all the little things that will try to take away from Jesus. They will try to take our attention off of Jesus. There's so many things that we could get upset about, so many things we could complain about, so many things we could murmur and gossip about, so many things that, 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 that we could be prideful about. But are they helping the body of Christ? Are they helping my marriage? Are they helping my, my relationship with my kids? Are they really helping me at work? Or is it me just focusing on myself and what I think I need and what I, know, I want instead of me resting in Christ? 
Instead of me acknowledging God and trusting in Him. Instead of giving credit to Him, because when I give credit to God and I look at Him as my source, it will root pride out of our lifestyle. Amen, somebody. I want pride rooted out of my life. And you know what? I've been through a lot of seasons of brokenness where I've thought, man, I've got no pride at all. (laughs) And then I go, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I forgot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I thought I had overcome that. I thought I had mastered that in my life. But you know what? The snare is always out there. And we've got to gird up the loins of our mind. We've got to think the way God wants us to think. And the only way we can do that is by knowing His heart. By knowing His heart. How do we know His heart? We get into His Word and we begin to see His heart. Not as a list of do's and don'ts, because anybody can print a good list of do's and don'ts. Not a list of this is going to make your life better, this is going to make your life worse. That's not what the Bible is. The Word of God is the revelation of God's heart. And it's us seeing Him, and it's us looking at Him and, and understanding His heart for me. It's us accepting, you know what, this, this, is, this is what I'm called to do. This is what He's created me for. And me resting in that and me thriving in that. Instead of letting pride grip my heart to the place to where I think that I'm somehow incomplete unless I have this. Unless I have this kind of recognition. Unless I have this kind of attention. Unless I get my way. We'll fight for our way. Instead of humbling ourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. Trusting in His time. Trusting in His direction. Trusting in the leading of His spirit. I'm going, okay God, I'm going to keep doing what I know I'm called to do. And I'm going to thrive in that. Because I'm not going to think of myself more highly than I ought. What does that mean? To think of our, not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. For us to not think that we have all of the answers. Isn't that hard for us to do sometimes? For us to admit, you know what, I don't have all of the answers. For me to trust in God and submit myself under His mighty hand. What does His mighty hand do? It protects, it corrects, it loves, it guides, it leads. To humble myself under His hand humble myself under the hand of God by recognizing I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. I have to trust in something bigger than my rationale, than my thought process. I have to trust in something bigger than what someone else may say or do. I'm not going to let the little foxes spoil the vine anymore. I'm going to focus on what matters, what he told me, and I'm going to trust in his grace to help lead me and guide me regardless of what season of life that I may be in. And that's what true humility is. Amen, somebody? Would you bow your head just for a moment? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.